0: We're going to read about Jephthah in Judges chapter 11. If you want to open your Bibles and turn there, Judges 11, beginning in verse 29, it's a story that is shocking. And it's shocking not because of what happens. We see men and women sinning throughout Scripture. We see them doing horrible things. But this one seems to be approved of. If nothing else, there is silence about what this man is going to do, and we are left to struggle with it. And struggle with it this morning, we will. Verse 29 of the book of Judges, chapter 11. Now the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, so that he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and then he passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he went on to the sons of Ammon. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand... Then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. What is he doing? He's saying, I'm going to go out and fight the Ammonites. When I come back, if you will give victory to me, Lord. I will commit to you. I will offer the burnt offering whatever comes out of the door of my house when I return. So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them and the Lord gave them into his hand. He didn't just quite well, the Bible tells us clearly, the Lord gave him into his hand, I believe responding to Jephthah's commitment, his prayer. And so he struck them with a very great slaughter from Eroer to the entrance of Meneth, twenty cities, and as far as Abel-Karamim. So the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house in Mishpah, behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him." with tambourines and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child besides her he had no son or daughter. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, "Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you are among those who trouble me, for I cannot give my word to the Lord, for I have given my word to the Lord and I cannot take it back." And so she said to him, "My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said." since the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the sons of Ammon. And she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity, I and my companions. And he said, Go. So he sent her away for two months and she left with her companions and wept on the mountains because of her virginity. And at the end of two months she returned to her father who did to her according to the vow which he had made. And she had no relations with a man. And thus it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. I'm going to pray one more time before we get into this. Father, again, Lord, I ask for wisdom and discernment. I ask for clarity. And I ask for understanding. But more than all that, Father, and more than understanding what takes place in this one particular story, I ask that you will tune our spirits to your spirit. That we might be changed and motivated to live for you with fierce and long-standing commitment, Father. Holy Spirit, teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, several years back, I determined that I was going to start studying the tough things in Scripture, the hard spots, the difficult places. I told myself, I'm going to go there. I'm going to spend some time there. If someone says that's a hard portion of Scripture to understand, that's where I went to study. And I studied a lot of these things, including this story. The story of Jephthah. I remember years ago reading that many Bible commentators explain it away as a rash vow, a reckless commitment on the part of Jephthah. They say, Jephthah said what he shouldn't have said. He shouldn't have blindly committed to something like offering as a sacrifice whatever walked out of the door of his house. What if it was his wife? What if it was his daughter? As we read, it is his daughter. He goes to battle But before so He says Lord I will If you give me victory I'll offer the a burnt offering to you Anything that comes out Of my front door He comes home And out comes His little girl And the Bible tells us He did to her As he said According to the vow And it seems to be okay (laughs) And I read it the first time And just went No way No way he did that No way he took his only daughter and sacrificed her to thank. But that's something they would do with Molech. That's something the pagan gods required of their people. Not our God. And so again, Bible commentators read this and they say, Well, it's got to be a sinful act on the part of Jephthah. He messed up. He was half pagan, half Jewish, you know, he was living in a pagan area. In fact, if you read back in the story of Jephthah, you find out he had been kicked out of Israel because he was a bastard child. He was an illegitimate son. His father, Gilead, had had relations with a prostitute. And that was Jephthah's parenting, and so his brothers kicked him out of Israel. So he was living among the pagans. So maybe that's it. There was just too much pagan influence. And so what we see here, we can quickly explain it away. It's just a reckless vow. Don't be like Jephthah. Don't make vows like him. In fact, we read in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse two: Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. That's a good thing, by the way, to remember. (laughs) God is in heaven, and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. He goes on and says, When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools Pay what you vow It's better that you should not vow Than you should vow and not pay Do not let your speech cause you to sin And do not say in the presence of the messenger of God That it was a mistake Oh I, I really didn't mean that Lord To get me out of this tight jam I'll be at church every Sunday the rest of my life That's not really what I meant The writer of Ecclesiastes Solomon would say that's a foolish thing to do Make a rash vow like that He says, why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Makes me want to cut back on my speech a little bit. And in Jephthah's case, let me say this. I personally disagree with the commentators that I mentioned before. I do not believe this is a story that we are to dismiss quickly as a rash vow, as a reckless move. I believe there's something much more significant going on with Jephthah. In reality, the single word that I think best defines the character of Israel's ninth judge is faithful, not reckless. Committed, not rash. This is a man who when making a vow Kept it regardless of how difficult Or painful or demanding And you may look at me and say How in the world can you say that Rick You really believe that That it was okay to sacrifice his daughter Listen in Hebrews chapter 11 The Hebrew writer gives us What we have called many times That hall of faith The great hall of faith You can go through and follow people like Noah Who trusted God when there had been no rain, no downpours in the history of the world before That it was going to rain enough to flood the world He believed, he had faith in God What about people like Abraham Called by God to go to a distant land Sarah, his wife We read about Isaac and Jacob We read about guys like Joseph Talk about a man of faith Or Moses Even Rahab The harlot who who risks everything to help Israel because she believes she has faith in the God of Israel. So you read about all these fantastic people of faith and then in verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11, the writer says, What more shall I say? Time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, Jephthah, and David and Samuel and the prophets and that blows my mind because if I was one of those Bible commentators saying this is a rash vow suddenly we see Jephthah listed in the great hall of faith and it takes great faith to be listed in that listing something is amiss here in the scriptures on the one hand we see Jephthah who apparently offers up his daughter to keep a vow to God which seems to be pagan and on the other hand we see the Hebrew writer saying Jephthah is a great man of faith well I choose to agree with the Hebrew writer He is a great man of faith. He is a faithful, committed follower of God. A man who knows how to keep a vow to the Lord even when it hurts. The New Testament commentary on the Old Testament. Remember, that's how we look at things. The New Testament gives us explanation and understanding of the stories that we read in the Old Testament. So as we move into the New and we discover that the New Testament claims this man is faithful, we must accept that and have to go back now and try and make sense of this. What we're going to do this morning. Try and make some sense of this disturbing vow and it's even more disturbing outcome. Now again, Jephthah lived at a time where he was surrounded by pagan peoples who did offer human sacrifices to their gods. And we've talked about Molech before. One of the worst of the pagan deities. Who required his people, or the people believed, that they were to give their infants, infant babies in sacrifice to Molech that big iron idol with the outstretched arms and the belly that was a furnace that they would heat up to intense heat they would lay the children on the arms of Molech where they would begin to sizzle as they screamed and then fall into the furnace and die this was how sacrificing was going on this is why by the way you may recall God sent Israel back into the promised land part of their mission was to clear the land of its horrendous sins But here we see a man of God Who is sacrificing for a vow Make no mistake about this God abhors human sacrifice He does not accept human sacrifice Deuteronomy 12.31 says You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God For every abominable act which the Lord hates They have done for their gods They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods God says I won't have it That's what they do. That is not what you are supposed to do. You might say, well, I know God abhors human sacrifice, but what about Abraham? Didn't God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? Genesis chapter 22 verse 1 says it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am which is what you say when God calls your name and he said take now your son your only son whom you love Isaac go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you you know the story Abraham took Isaac and they went out to that hill that ridge that is in Jerusalem today of Moriah Mount Moriah and he took him to the high place there on Mount Moriah to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice I believe personally That the place, the very place where Abraham was to offer Isaac, was the place of the cross. For Mount Calvary is Mount Moriah. And I think what God asked Abraham to do was a type, a picture of what he did later. A father offering his only son. And Genesis 22 verse 12... The Lord says to Abraham, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for I know now that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son Isaac, from me. Abraham's faith was just being tested, being tried as true. And Abraham's faithfulness was a type of another sacrifice, that sacrifice of Jesus in the same place that would come later. Genesis 22 It's a fantastic chapter to study. I encourage you to go back and just read it through and look at all the pictures of Jesus that are to be found there. But you might say, if God hates human sacrifice, why did he sacrifice Jesus? And the answer is very simple. Because of his great love for you and for me. It was the ultimate proof that God loved mankind and loved individual people. His sacrifice of his son, you see, it's completely opposite of what the pagans did. They sacrificed to appease their God. In Christianity, God sacrificed to prove his love. God gave up. He didn't ask us to sacrifice our children to appease him. He sacrificed his son to save our lives. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But listen and understand, this doesn't mean, or it doesn't make the sacrifice of Jesus any less abhorrent to God. It still was an awful thing. It still was a brutal thing before the Lord. Galatians chapter three verse thirteen tells us Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It wasn't that when Jesus went to the cross, God said, "All right, okay, well, we'll put Jesus on the cross because he's perfect, and all of mankind, you know, I wouldn't want you to do this, but we can do this to Jesus, and it's really no big deal." No, he became a curse it was so bad on the cross that God literally had to turn his back on Jesus if only for a few moments when we hear Jesus cry out in Matthew 27, 46 about the ninth hour Eli, Eli, lama Sabatani, which means my God, my God why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus quotes that old psalm why have you forsaken me? As He pours out His heart for the first time in all of history, separated from His Father. Why? Because He's a curse. Because what's happening to Jesus on the cross is abhorrence to the Father. A necessary sacrifice, yes, but abhorrence just the same. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In other words, listen to this the crucifixion is an abomination. But it was a necessary abomination. Jesus became on the cross everything that the Father hates so that the Father could pour out His great love. On his people. It was the most personally painful act of faithfulness anybody has ever seen. The faithfulness of God to go through that pain to show us his love for us. Now, back to the story of Jephthah. The Israelites were in dire straits. They needed a leader to deliver them from the Amorites. They had no one among them in all of Israel. No standout guy who was willing to stand up and lead the people to fight the Amor- Ammonites. And so they appealed to this man Jephthah. We talked quite a bit about him on Wednesday night. He was the element J- uh, son of Gilead. He was kicked out of Israel by his brothers. His mother was a hooker. He was a man surrounded by a band of losers. Not a good resume. He's living outside of Israel. But God uses the situation in Jephthah's life to mold him into a man of integrity and faithfulness. By the way, a little side note: the Lord often does that. He'll do that with you and with me. James chapter one verse two says, "Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance." And Donna, I'm not going to go into this, but you shared that three, three and a half years ago. You came here, basically busted up inside. While man will do things to hurt us, God will allow those things to deepen our faith and to draw us closer to Him and to strengthen us in ways we can't even imagine while we're going through those times of heartache and pain. It's not that God wants us to hurt, but He can use any given situation, no matter how bad, even when fellow believers come against us, realize and understand God is at work and he is faithful and he is moving just as he was for Jephthah it wasn't Jephthah's fault that his dad decided to go see a prostitute it wasn't his fault that he was born that way it wasn't his fault that a bunch of losers gathered around him as he was kicked out it wasn't his fault and he could have spent his life mired in bitterness over all of that kick me out stay out here and find someone else to fight for you I'm going to fight for you go down Israel I don't really care you guys kick me out he doesn't know God uses all of that pain and heartache and difficulty in Jephthah's life to grow a great leader with him we see it in the lives of all the people in Hebrews' hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says, All these people that are listed there died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, and as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. People who went through horrendous things... And God used those horrendous things to develop their faith. And this is what we see in this man, Jephthah. He's been prepared for hard times. He's been prepared through even rejection. And now, back in verse 11, it tells us Jephthah is a man of prayer look at verse 29, where we started this morning, it tells us Jephthah is a man who has the Spirit of the Lord. God has done great things. And everything up through verse 29 tells me this man is prepared and is a man of faith and is a man walking in the Spirit of the Lord. He goes to battle. He fights victoriously and valiantly. This man is a man of prayer and faith and a man with the Spirit of the Lord. He makes his vow. And we think, what a committed guy. A man of faith and prayer. A man who's walking in the Spirit of the Lord. And then he comes home and it all gets really messy. And we begin to ask, okay, did the Spirit of the Lord leave Jephthah? I I don't find that. Did he stop praying? I don't know. Did his faith go out the window? What is going on with this man? The first thing that walks through his door when he gets home is his little girl. And i got to tell you, that got personal for me. I, I often will place myself in the shoes of the person and ask what would I have done. If I came walking home from battle victorious, walking up my driveway and toward the front door, the door bursts open and out comes Hannah with her guitar. Last Monday night, he had a dote on her for a second, she had a guitar concert at school we went and we sat down, you know, and she asked if she could play my guitar, which was a stretch for me. She came walking out carrying that guitar on stage and, and the first thing I thought was, she looks pretty cool. And she sat down, she played a song. It's the first song that she's written, she started playing guitar in January. She's she's written her first song. I think it's got like three chords, maybe two. And it's a worship song. And she got up there in front of all of her friends and and people at the school, and, and it was a guitar and choir concert, so the place was pretty full. And she played the first song she's ever written, A Song of Worship to the Lord. And I just sat there, and I was choking up. And I was thinking, I was so proud of her. Now, don't get me wrong, she's not perfect. We can talk about that maybe another time. But in that moment I saw her praising the Lord And I love to see My children I love to see praising the Lord And Hannah was doing that Right up there in front of God and everyone She's worshipping And as I look at Jephthah This is what's happening Hit that picture His little daughter comes Dancing out the front door Of their house She is playing cymbals She is praising the Lord She is worshipping Thanking God for the victory that That God had given her father She's proud of her daddy And her daddy's heart is ripped out as he realizes that she is the first one out the door. And he made a promise to God to give to him whatever walked out the front door of his house. This is not a man who is pagan and sick, who sees the daughter coming out and says, Get the rope, boys! Wrap her up! Tie her good and tight! Let's get her on the fire! Look at what Jephthah says in verse 35. Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you're among those who trouble me. For I cannot, I have given my word to the Lord, I cannot take it back. He is pouring out his guts. Little girl, what are you doing? Go back and out. send out one of the goats. <laughs> no, not my daughter. And so it brings us to the point where we have to ask the question, did Jephthah really offer his daughter as a burnt offering? That's a tough question. Josephus and the earliest rabbinical scholars read this story and they believe he did, in fact, offer his daughter as a human sacrifice. They reason it by the literal interpretation of the scriptures, which you know I am very, very serious about myself. It is what it says take it literally don't spiritualize it don't change it to mean something that it doesn't say or doesn't mean you read what it says and you take it in its context and they point to the pagan nature of Jephthah's world and they point to the fact that Israel had no king and horrid things were going on and honestly their case is strongly argued you can argue it either way there's a, there's a very strong case to be made for the fact that he did offer up his daughter a bird's offering. What do you think, Rick? I don't know if I want to tell you what I think. I'll tell you this much. I believe Jephthah kept his vow. Although it may not be as it seems on the surface, and there are some clues that may indicate another option here, watch this very closely. Verse 31. Jephthah said, It shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. A couple things to know about this verse. A couple arguments were made either way, but one of the arguments is the and-or argument. The and-or argument. Some of your Bible margins may even tell you this, that the word and can also be translated or-or. So in this case, it could be it shall be the Lord's and I will offer it up as a burnt offering, or it could be, it shall be the Lord's, or I will offer up a burnt offering. In that case, it solves the problem. Either I'll give you whatever comes out of my door, or I'll give you a burnt offering in place of whatever comes out of my door. And that's very simple. And if we take it that way, we can go, okay, good. Then then Bible study done, let's stand and sing. But the problem is, the last half of the verse says, I will offer it up as a burnt offering. And the it is there. What are you saying, Rick? I'm saying that even if you say or, it doesn't work. It shall be the Lord's or I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Either way, whatever comes out the door is the Lord's. But there's something else to note about this verse. And it's the offer-offering argument. If you take this literally, which again... I am wont to do the uh, Hebrew writing here is two words with offer and offering Allah and Olah. A-L-A-H and O-L-A-H and the phrase offer it up as a burnt offering as you see it translated there literally is I will ascend Allah is from the Hebrew word Aliyah I will make Aliyah have you heard that word before? when Jewish people talk about going back to Israel they say they are making Aliyah they are going up That's what Aliyah makes. When the Bible says, let us go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord, it's Aliyah. Let's make that Aliyah. So that's what Allah comes from, is Aliyah. To go up. Let us go up. I will ascend. And the idea of that being connected to an offering is I'm ascending the temple mount up to the temple where I'm going to make an offering to the Father, Allah. And so where you read, it shall be the Lord's and I will offer it up. I will literally, I will ascend, he's saying, I will ascend with it as... And then it says burnt offering, but the word there is Ola. Ola. So what he's saying is, I will ascend with it as an offering. I will go up with whatever comes out the doors of my house as an offering. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a burnt offering or a sacrificial offering where you let the blood out on the altar and then light the fire. I will ascend and give as an offering. And I think there's even a more compelling case to the fact that his daughter wasn't physically human sacrificed, but was offered to the Lord, and we look down in verse 37 to understand that. She said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me go alone to the mountains, or let me, um, yeah, let me alone two months, that I may go to the mountains and weep. Because of my virginity, I and my companions now that's interesting why because of her virginity well she's going to die so she obviously will never be married so she will only remain a virgin you can make that case but it's pretty weak go on he says he said go so he sent her away for two months and she left with her companions and wept on the mountains because of her virginity at the end of two months she returned to her father who did to her according to the vow which he had made and she had no relations with a man which is kind of silly For them to repeat that and go back to that virginity argument, you'd think what it'd say is, she returned to her father and he killed her. (laughs) She returned to her father and he burned her up. And that was the end of the story. But the focus here for these three verses is on her virginity. And on the fact that she would never know a man. That she would never enter into that kind of intimacy with a man. That she would never, especially in these days, she would never bear children. There would be no heir. In Jephthah's line... And his daughter would not be able to do the one thing that among Hebrew women was more important than anything else, and that was to bear a child. She wouldn't do it. And that's the focus. And then it says it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. It's interesting there that that word commemorate. Some translations say lament. But the word in Hebrew is tanah, which is literally to recount or to talk with. So it may very well be saying that the daughters of Israel went up yearly to talk with the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in a year. They went to visit her. And in other words, she's still alive. Where did they go to visit her? In the place that Jephthah offered her to the Lord. In the place where Jephthah gave her to the Lord. The truth is, gang, and listen carefully here, the truth is that a sacrificial death did happen here. A sacrificial death, that is, I believe, the death of an heir. Jephthah offered his daughter to the Lord in the same way that Hannah in 1 Samuel offered her firstborn son, Samuel, to the Lord. Gave him, gave her to the Lord to serve the rest of her days, the father, and not to be known by any man. And you might say, Well, that makes it a lot easier. But listen, gang, for a man of valor like Jephthah, even that move would be absolutely heartrending and heartbreaking. Jephthah, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion here, and again, like I said before, you can argue this case either way, but my opinion is that Jephthah considered his daughter's perpetual virginity as a complete fulfillment of his vow. I will give you whatever comes out of the front door of my house. It, it shall be yours, Lord. I will offer it up to you. Now if it were an animal Obviously you'd make the burnt offering Because that was in keeping with Levitical law But it was his daughter And so to keep his vow He gave his daughter to the Lord And she would never be married And she would never produce an heir And it's very similar To the way the Lord considered Abraham's willingness To offer Isaac As a complete fulfillment of his faith Even though he didn't actually offer Isaac Jephthah kept his vow and in the story of Abraham and Isaac and in the story of Jephthah and his daughter you need to understand both stories reveal a great pain in faithfulness and that's what I really want us to focus on again we can argue back and forth about whether or not Jephthah really sacrificed his daughter and the ultimate answer is going to come when we meet the Lord then we can ask what really happened now I told you what my opinion is but you can argue the other side just as easily And there's a strong case to be made that way as well. But we can sit and go back and forth and back and forth, which in the church we just love to do, or we can set that aside and say, Okay, Lord, what are you saying? What do we learn here? What does this mean for us? And here's the point, gang. Jephthah reveals in the most extreme way what it means to keep a commitment faithfully, regardless of how much it hurts. Personally, and it's something we don't get in our culture today. We don't know how to keep our commitments, our vows, in the way Jephthah kept his vow. And what I mean is, commitment, true commitment in the eyes of the Lord is as follows follow through, even when it hurts you. I say, I want to follow through with the Lord, I want to keep my vows to God, but if it starts to get difficult for me, If it's a little painful, that's when I go, you know, Lord, that's not really what I meant. I didn't mean to go that far. I know I said that, but but this is uncomfortable now. This hurts now. There's got to be another way around this. Commitment, true commitment is follow-through, even when it hurts you, when it's difficult, when it requires self-sacrifice. And again, we don't understand that kind of commitment. We fall short of that. In our culture, in our country, we have such a watered down view of true faithfulness today. We have no idea what it means to be like Jephthah, a man who says, I made a vow and I cannot go back. Even if that means subscribing my daughter to be like a nun the rest of her life. Even if that means in all of my victory and valor there will never be an heir in my family line. I made a vow to the Lord, and I will keep it. His daughter is amazing, by the way. She says, you've given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have said. So his daughter shows amazing faithfulness. A woman who's willing to give up her future because of a vow her father made because the vow was so important. Man, in politics today, we are just used to the fact that politicians lie. We're okay with it. Everybody flip-flops, not just John Kerry in the last election. It was everybody. Show me a politician. I don't care who it is that you support or follow or think is a great man. I can point to you in in their history flip-flopping. Well, how do you know you can do that, Rick? Because they're human. And I can do the same in my life. How many times have I said one thing? Absolutely. And then a year later I'm going, well, that's not what I meant. I meant this. In marriage... We don't always mean exactly what we vow, do we? I believe the phrase is, for better or worse. And yet, worse so often ends up in divorce. Now some might say, well yeah, but there are places where divorce is is okay, right? I mean, like Jesus said, for marital unfaithfulness... If your wife or your husband has an affair, well, then you have every right to divorce. And yet, even with that, if you make a vow to someone for better or worse, I would think adultery falls into the worst category. That's worse. Well, I, I I just think you're asking too much. Well, I'm not asking. But I think it's interesting that we see a biblical example with a guy named Hosea, who was a prophet. God said to him you stay committed to your wife even though she's an adulterous prostitute you stay with her Hosea you don't have the right to divorce her for better or for worse you stay with her why would God do that? because he was showing his faithfulness he was saying you're adulterous to me you mess around you, Israel you ran around on me for years and years chasing after other gods committing spiritual adultery and I never gave up on you and he says the same to you and to me today you've run around on me you've chased after other things there have been times of great faithlessness in your life but I stuck with you for better for worse even when we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself and even in ministry gang We simply don't understand What it means to be Sacrificially committed Even in the church To say I'm going to do this Though it is difficult for me I'm going to serve in this way It's hard Man, it, it is tough on a Wednesday night To work all day long To get off at 6.45 And then to try to be A Bible study by 7 o'clock Man that's, that's a tough commitment and I'm not just saying that. I believe it is. I've seen some people walk in here half asleep and then have to listen to me drone on and on and on, you know, for an hour, hour and a half. I get it. But that's nothing compared to some of the ministry commitment that, that we're called to make. But it starts to get tough when we say, ah, maybe I'm just not called to that after all. Well, maybe it's just hard and the Lord wants you to stick it out. I want to give you some things to jot down this morning, and this is really at the tail end here. Three quick things to note about God and commitment, and to understand. And the first one is simply this. God responds to sacrificial commitment, like Jephthah's. And we see this time and time again throughout the scriptures. The Lord responds to sacrificial commitment, like Jephthah and his daughter. Or like, for example, Hannah. Who I mentioned before in 1 Samuel chapter 1. She commits Samuel to lifelong service. She was a woman who couldn't have a child. She said, Lord, if you will give me a child, I will give him right back to you. And she does. She becomes pregnant. She gives birth to Samuel. And she takes him directly to the temple and gives him to the Lord. And Samuel becomes one of the greatest prophets of Israel. Anointing the first and second kings anointing David as king God responds to sacrificial commitment what about Shammah have you heard of him? Shammah he's one of these interesting little stories ran across 2 Samuel 23 verse 11 talks about this guy named Shammah and Shammah is fighting with David's men 2 Samuel 23 11 but he alone stood in a field and fought against the Philistines when everybody else fled and what's interesting to me about Shammah's commitment is the field was a bean field what didn't mean a hill of beans to anybody else, <laughs> meant enough to Shammah that he stayed there and fought single-handedly because he was committed to the Lord. He was committed to Israel. He was committed to David. And he said, I'm not going to run away. And so for beans, this guy fought and stood fast and God gave Shammah the entire victory over the Philistines. It's a great story. We'll get there actually pretty soon. Or what about in Luke 21. Luke 21 in chapter 2 where we read the story of Jesus and He's with the apostles and they're hanging out at the temple and all of a sudden in the midst of their talking He says to the guys Hey guys, shh, look at this Look over there You see that, that little old widow? Look at what she's doing Check it out The guys look and she drops these two little mites in the offering and you got to be thinking like Peter Well, two cents? I could do that Lord Wait a minute, i got, I got a quarter here let me, let me go show you how great my faith is And he goes You don't understand that was all she had that was her last two cents that she just gave to the Lord she's got nothing else at home and Jesus just marvels at this great faithfulness this sacrificial commitment that this woman made or John chapter 12 when Mary Mary comes up you remember the story she broke a bottle of it's called pure nard it's a very very costly expensive perfume she broke open the bottle and anointed Jesus with it just before in that last week of his life just before the crucifixion she pours it all over him and the apostles are incensed and especially Judas who says come on Lord we could have sold that and given the money to the poor (laughs) well Judas at the time was dipping into the the purse there so he just wanted it for himself but he's like what a waste to do this and listen it was a sacrificial commitment on the part of Mary because that perfume was probably her marriage dowry as expensive as it was it was probably the one thing she had to to get herself or to to save for herself a husband later on. And yet she broke that and poured it over Jesus. And on and on and on. I can go over these things. So many people who showed sacrificial commitment to the Lord. And Psalm 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Why is that, Lord? Why are you so into sacrificial commitment? Because it makes us like Him. Because as we commit even to the hard stuff of our faith, as we walk it out, even when it's painful, even when it's difficult, even when it's heart-rending, we are like the Lord. And that's what He wants for us. To be more like Jesus. To live more like Jesus lived. After all, God's sacrificial commitment is the greatest in all eternity. Second thing to note, God not only responds to sacrificial commitment, God requires sacrificial commitment. Let me read this to you quickly. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, Jesus again with his disciples. And he says in verse 57, it says they were going along the road and someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. I said that once. I do know if you said that Maybe when you became a Christian You gave your life to the Lord And said "Oh, I'm ready Lord Take me where you want to take me I'll follow you wherever, wherever you go And I sat by the way As youth minister Years after years Taking kids to conferences And watching kids go up At the end of a song Or at the end of worship And commit their lives To ministry service of the Lord Committing to full time ministry And I'm not sure I think one of those kids Maybe two Out of dozens Actually are in full time ministry today Because we don't understand what it means to make a vow to the Lord and keep it. And so this one person says to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But the other person said, well, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I'll follow you, Lord. Um, But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You want to be fit for the kingdom of God? I would like to be fit in spiritual shape for the coming of Jesus. I'd like to be ready I want to be fit for the kingdom and the workout of the Lord gang is a spiritual treadmill that requires sacrificial commitment that's how you get in shape for the kingdom sacrificial commitment not the easy stuff there's so much of the easy stuff we do and we feel really good about and God's saying well that's great but it's not getting you in shape you know you're sitting on the couch spiritually the sacrificial hard stuff I hate working out I'm just going to go on record and say I hate it I don't like going to the gym I haven't done it recently I don't like the whole physical thing I would rather sit home It's so much more comfortable on my couch With the widescreen TV You know, I sprained my thumb A couple nights ago But other than that That's my kind of workout But you know what happens there The body wears down It gets old You want to be fit for the kingdom God says it's hard It's going to hurt It's going to mean giving up. God requires and responds to sacrificial commitment by His followers. And last one, God relates to sacrificial commitment. And again and again we have seen this. We have seen that God is into relationships and He wants us to be in living, breathing, walking fellowship with Him. And here's the key. Turn to Psalm 15. Turn to Psalm 15. I want you to see this yourselves. Sacrificial commitment. God wants relationship, but he responds to, requires, and relates to sacrificial commitment because it does something in our lives. Watch this. The psalmist writes in verse 1, Psalm 15, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? And then he gives the answer. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness. And speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue. Nor does evil to his neighbor. Nor takes up a reproach against a friend. In whose eyes a reprobate is despised. But who honors those who fear the Lord. Listen. He who swears to his own hurt. And does not change. This is the person who can dwell in the tent of the Lord. He does not put out his money at interest nor does he take a bribe against the innocent he who does these things will never be shaken you want a solid relationship with the Lord one that is never shaken a jephthah like faithfulness to the Lord sacrificial commitment even when it hurts even when it's painful even when you swear to your own hurt that pleases the Lord when someone gives up who shall abide with the Lord he who swears to his own hurt. That really jumped off the page to me. He who swears to his own hurt. That's commitment. That's a vow. Anyway, you slice it, gang, the commitment of Jephthah was painful at its conclusion. And it required personal sacrifice at the highest level. But I ask you to consider this. How much did the pain, the the death of Jesus, how much did it hurt the Father? And this is what we, we forget in our commitments to the Lord. How much did Jesus' death hurt the Lord? How painful was that action of love before us? And again, we come right back around to the gates of agape. Because when I think about faithfulness... And I look at the Lord's example of faithfulness And how much it hurt And how painful it was That's a picture of commitment That's a picture of love And if we want to truly be fit for the kingdom If we desire to grow in our walk With the Lord Jesus And to have that deep passionate relationship You need to understand this It is not going to be easy His yoke is easy and His burden is light. The Lord's not going to dump stuff on you. Coming to Him is the easiest thing in the world. But walking with Him, growing up in Him, can be painful indeed. I've been asked by one of our ladies Bible study groups to come on Tuesday and talk about how to study the Bible. And how to go through it. Some tips and some ideas and, and some commentaries and things. we're going to talk about that. But I'm going to tell you the first thing I'm going to tell them on Tuesday. Right now. There are no shortcuts. You want to learn to study the Bible? Start carving out time in the day. There are no shortcuts. I don't stand up here and share what I've shared with about 15 or 20 minutes of study. There are no shortcuts. It takes time. You want to deepen your relationship with the Father? Guess what? you got to pray. There are no shortcuts. You can't say, okay, every, every Monday morning at 9, I'm going to pray for about five minutes for the week, and I'm good to go. You can't do it. There are no shortcuts. It is a process of life that God is calling us to. You want to be more Christ-like in the way you love people, get ready to sacrifice. You're your desires, your comfort zone, your need. All of that, if you want to be an agape lover like Jesus Christ, you got to set that aside. Yeah, yeah but he did this, but, but she hurt me, but, 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 but they... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you're loving like Jesus, it's going to hurt. And that's the last thing to consider. The motivation, gang, for any tough commitment I might make. The motivation to commit like Jephthah committed is guaranteed victory. Jephthah made this vow knowing God was going to come through. Knowing he was, he had the spirit of the Lord on him. He knew that the victory was sure in the Lord And he made the commitment He was motivated based on the guarantee of victory Jesus already won everything in his death In his resurrection We have the guarantee We've got the victory We are saved We are secure We're going home It is a done deal And whatever happens here on earth Nothing can change that Let that love of Jesus be the motivational factor in your life. Let that be what drives us to live for the Lord and to follow the Lord. Understanding that God's vow to so love the world dearly cost Him His very life. Last verse, 2 Timothy 1, verse 8. Paul says the following, Join with me in suffering. (laughs) If you got a little invitation card in the mail and it said... You're invited, and you open up and to so join me in suffering, what would you do with it? <laughs> this is what Paul says, Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Paul says, but now this has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a teacher and an apostle and a, and a preacher. And for this reason I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. Until that day. Keeping our vows, our commitments, no matter what the cost. This is what I learned from Jephah. And this is what we learned from Jesus. And Father, we pray today that you will strengthen our vows. That you will give us the faith to walk out our commitments. And not to back down from them. Father for so many here You have prepared Through difficulty And struggle And heartache You have prepared People who have been despised In their lives And rejected As Jesus was despised And rejected You have prepared so many To step out And to step forward In strength And I pray Father You would put that call On our hearts To serve To give sacrificially To love agape style regardless of whether we get anything back or not. Make us like Jephthah. No, Father, make us like Jesus in our willingness to commit everything to You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.